in a world where everything looks and feels similar, be ruthless around whether you are truly different and if not, why not? And I think there's so many ways you can separate yourself from your competitors these days and ultimately that's what's crushing margins in most industries. Everything kind of looks and feels the same. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts, visit EliteAgentElevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, Visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. Joining me on today's podcast are Scott Bateman and Brock Fisher from property management software company Colmio. Both Scott and Brock have extensive experience in the PM sector, and they have also been uh, hanging around Elite Agent during the Transform program, both as a major sponsor and as speakers. So welcome finally to the podcast, Brock and Scott. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, we've known each other for a while, and I'm not sure how you guys have dodged being on our podcast, actually. It must be because you, <laughs> must be because you guys are so busy with your own. So tell us a little bit about that. About us or the podcast? The podcast first. Yeah. So we run a podcast called Agency of Change. Essentially, Brock and I were kind of chatting a little while ago and found we get to talk to all these remarkable people, both existing customers and people that we're just chatting with. And inevitably, you have these aha moments that rarely go beyond that conversation. And we thought, well, you know what, let's make a point of getting these people on and sharing some of that with other people and focus on particularly property management in Australia and the people that are really pushing the envelope and doing things differently, whether that's culture, business model, growth, whatever it might be. So it's been a, I think we're six or so episodes in and been a whole lot of fun. It's exciting actually. And I think that's almost how this podcast started was I was having all these interesting conversations with people just wishing that I'd press the record button and all of a sudden that's what we did. Unreal. So Brock, Transform 21, you're no stranger to Transform actually, because I think you've been a part of it for several years leading up to this. How did you find Transform 21 compared to some of the other challenges that we've done? Yeah, look, I really enjoyed the program this year. I thought the the content and the variety of the speakers was really powerful. And I always circle back to the point that from a professional development and a learning experience, is there really any better program out there, both in terms of structure and how it's tailored towards actions and accountability, but also the variety and the cross-section of both activities and the content that you're exposed to. So yeah, I thought it uh, addressed a lot of the property management and real estate business pain points this year because we had a lot of stuff around the management of people, the management of conflict, obviously social media stuff was pretty prolific in there, which is something that people are always really curious about. And then there was a fair bit of value around general property management and real estate issues, sales, effective business units. Yeah, it was just it covered all the bases I think it was great yeah there was definitely a lot of content in there and some of the content that people we did a case study for the first time in ages and that was yours and Scott's idea so the major assignment for transform was that we gave everyone a problem real estate office banana real estate 
how could an office with a name like Banana Real Estate have any problems? <laughs> <laughs> but I know, Scott, so we're going to delve into your background for people that don't know you very well. But Scott, you did a postgrad at Harvard and Harvard are very big on case studies and case studies are a fantastic way of learning. So tell us a little bit about the theory behind the case study that we did in Transform and what the guys had to solve. For people that don't sort of know what a, a case study is, I guess, or, or why we use them, generally speaking, they're a real world business or situation and it kind of unpacks a whole bunch of stuff that's going on to help you put yourself in that moment and live it like the person it's written about. I've found when I first did a bunch of study, I learned from textbooks and everything else like most of us. When I went to Harvard, they only teach the case method and it was fascinating just how much more of it you retain and you retain forever. Like it really sits with you because you, you feel like you're living it like the person that went through it. And when we first started to talk about what do you do differently with Transform, I remember you and I started chatting about it at the time and, and my excitement was there because it's like you, you're giving these people this amazing toolkit to solve business problems and grow businesses and do all these things. It was like, well, let's give them this kind of made up business, but a relatable business being banana and give them an opportunity to flex their muscles a bit and apply all of these new tools that they've been learning over the 30 days to come up with a different way to, you know, solve it as if they were a bunch of consultants. And at the end of it, when we were going through the ideas, I was just blown away. Like the, the way they were solving some of this stuff, you would pay for the advice they were giving us. It was amazing. And you guys did put together a download of all those bits of free advice, which you can find at the moment in connect.eliteagent.com if you didn't do Transform, because I think that advice is universal. But what were some of the takeaways that people were coming up with that are going to be essential for property management businesses in the future, do you think? I might start with you, Scott, if you can give us a couple of takeaways and then Brock as well, because they might be quite different. I was really impressed by this understanding that you've got to get your culture right first and you need a, an agreed kind of framework for thinking about your business and the culture within it. I was blown away at how well the people going through the program understood the need to get that right because that affects the experience your customers have. There was a really solid understanding of the, what um, some of the new technologies could do, but importantly, they're not a silver bullet. Like there's so much other stuff that goes on around that. And then that balance between, you know, yes, do things that reduce costs, but at the same time, don't lose sight of things that make new revenue or improve profitability because cost is one lever, but as we know, it's only one. Yeah, absolutely. And if you pull one lever, it, it often affects something else that you didn't predict it would. What about your takeaways, Brock? Similar to Scott, but I guess even to wind it back to the first step, I was pretty pleased with how effectively people pinpointed what the issues were in banana real estate, but also that they recognized that actually taking time out and having a break and, and getting away and refreshing your brain was a key first step before you actually start to do anything. Because if you're frenetically caught in the hamster wheel of the moment, then you can really think clearly or effectively about the challenges that you have and how you're going to solve it. So I was really pleased to see that people recognize that you should take time out to go away and, and clear your mind and have a rest and then start tackling the problems. But outside of that, really strong recognition of the value of culture and having the right people in the right seats on the bus and also the the need to effectively manage out toxic team members or team members that don't want to play and contribute well to the betterment of the business. So there was a lot of, of light bulb moments there, I think, around team and culture and how you can grow and develop that and keep your team engaged. And yeah, I was pleased to see a lot of the commentary around the need for operational efficiency and better systems, but not necessarily sacrificing any opportunity to actually add value to a customer because you don't want to cut off your nose to spot your face in that um, because 
the ever-present challenge of differentiation for real estate businesses is it's one of the big factors out there. So making sure that you're injecting your people at the right moment in time, giving them an opportunity to add value to a customer, giving them a time to shine. So there's two things I want to unpack there. One is the thing about differentiation, which I'm going to talk to Scott about because that was part of his presentation. But something that you just touched on before then was the culture. We've just talked about how important culture is. So a lot of real estate businesses out there, they might have a top performer who is just, as you just said, Brock, perhaps a little bit toxic to be around or they're not you know, integrating well with the other staff but they are the top performer in the business. They are the person bringing in the most revenue. What are the pros and cons of keeping that person around? <laughs> it's known universally as brilliant asshole syndrome. I'm not sure if we're allowed to say asshole on the podcast. It's all right. We'll, we'll leave it in. I think the pros are obviously the revenue that person generates, but the cons are basically just about everything else. So the snowball effect that our toxic performer has on the rest of the team cannot be overstated and it's almost always the case where taking that person out of the business will certainly medium to long term result in an overall better business because everyone else then has the opportunity to shine and improve their own personal performance whereas depending on the behavior and the way that person goes about their toxic habits it could be having everyone feeling pretty disengaged and a little bit oppressed. So it's important to give everyone the opportunity to shine and realize their potential and not just focus on the person that is bringing in the biggies, I guess. Mm. Do you have any advice for leaders out there perhaps that are maybe nodding their heads right now thinking, yes, I'm in that situation. I've got a superstar performer here and I really want to keep them. What would your advice be if they didn't want to let them go but wanted to see if that there was an opportunity to have them more integrated into a more positive culture? Well, for me, there's a couple of points to it. And the first thing is obviously identifying and having the conversation with that person. As Kylie Maxwell often says, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. For all managers and leaders of teams out there, if you see behavior in your team that shouldn't be there, you can't just let it fly. So you've got to identify that and have a chat to the person. And I think the other thing is, as close to the moment as possible. Like you don't necessarily want to call it out on the floor in front of people because of the old concept of criticizing in private, but praising public. But you also don't want to sit down three weeks later and go, hey, I noticed you did this thing three weeks ago because the moment has passed. So important to acknowledge and have a discussion with that person about it, kind of ask them what's going on. And that it's important to frame that question in a way that's not I guess, forming judgment, but just pointing out the observation and the impact that it has on the team and then having a discussion about it and importantly, what we're going to do to move forward and address that scenario. To add to what Brock's saying, it's also that I think the question is always, have we created a workplace that enables this type of behaviour to prosper and become a thing? I don't know if you've seen much of Malcolm Gladwell's work where he talks about weak link cultures and strong link cultures and now, the example he uses there is that if you think about it, a soccer team is essentially who's going to make a mistake first, which is why it's such a low scoring game. So if you've got $100 million to spend, you spend it improving the average of every player as much as possible. If you think about a strong link game like the NBA and basketball, you go by LeBron James because one guy can tip the game almost single-handedly. Sales and PM is difficult because sales is a strong link game and PM is a weak link game. It kind of relies on a system of people. And often in real estate, we've got this one overarching way that we manage, recruit everything, and yet they're actually very different kind of ecosystems. And I think often the challenge is we go in with one set view 
And then lo and behold, these people emerge and it's, I think there's a chance to step back and go, well, you know, what have we done to address this? Or have we done enough to create the culture that we want where it kind of weeds this sort of stuff out itself? Yeah, that's really interesting. What were you going to say, Brock? And I think that's even before we start to think about stuff like personality types. So how different people react in social situations and how different personality types hear and process information and make decisions and what might be completely oblivious to one personality type might be highly offensive to another. So I think the journey to understanding what your people are about and how different personality types react in all those circumstances is uh, is definitely a good one to take yourself on. And it's, you know, a journey that kind of starts now and finishes never because I don't think you can ever learn too much about that. Absolutely. It's a fascinating topic and we could probably spend a whole hour talking about that because... I feel like that strong link, chain link system is definitely real estate because you're always going to be held back by your weakest link, not propelled forward by your strongest one. So true. So this is a tough job for a leader in terms of being able to balance all of that out and have the right culture and, and move the organisation forward. Now, the other the shoe on the leader's foot also is about how to generate revenue and keep the business profitable, which, Scott, you talked about at length in Transform, and it was a fascinating presentation. And as I think I might have said, you were like third top speaker above Tom Ferry, <laughs> like in this round of Transform. Everyone was quite fascinated with what you were saying and thinking about some of the emerging revenue models out there. So I just want to unpack them a little bit, starting with a lot of real estate officers say they differentiate themselves by saying we have the best service. But you smashed that one immediately and said there is no best service. So tell us a little bit about the thinking behind that. It can be a controversial statement to make, but I think from memory in the example at Transform, I used the story of IKEA. And essentially what we were saying is if this kind of belief is true, that you've got to have the best service, The first issue is, well, to whom? Because everybody has a different expectation of what they get. And then as a consequence of all these things that you add in, like new steps that you put in, are you putting your price up to such an extent that you're doing all these things, but the customer doesn't get value from it. And now you've got this whole thing that's very expensive to do and isn't really any different. IKEA is amazing in that we can look at it and say, this is the most successful furniture company on earth. And on everything we would normally grade a furniture business on, they're the worst. You self-assemble the furniture yourself. It doesn't last very long more often than not. You've got to navigate these huge warehouses to go and get it. There's not a lot of help when you do. So, you know, if we were being objective, you'd say, well, this isn't a good furniture business. And yet in reality, most of us enjoy the experience of going there. We like the product that we get from there. We like the value that we get from there. And it sells more than every other furniture company in the world combined. And the meatballs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, but this is true in a lot of businesses. You don't need to keep adding stuff in trying to become the best. Some of the best businesses in the world take steps out and they differentiate through the steps that they take out. And I think that's an interesting angle for real estate to think about because whether you're in property management or sales, it's a race to the top. You can't just keep adding new things in trying to separate yourself without suddenly finding that your cost base has increased at an unhealthy rate. Yeah. And- I like I wholeheartedly agree, not just because you're the boss, but <laughs> I mean, just because it makes sense. And I think for so long, particularly in property management, obviously, because that's where my experience has been mostly for the last couple of decades, we've just got into such a habit of adding stuff on. So 
We've now created such a convoluted and complicated tech stack, typical property management business that it takes people so long to understand what everything does. Stuff doesn't talk to each other. Passwords and credentials all expire at different frequencies and have different protocols for trying to come up with new ones. And so in trying to solve a lot of individual problems with individual solutions, we've actually created other challenges. And I guess Scott and I call it the the tech paradox where for every individual problem, there's an individual solution, but you just end up with such a complicated ecosystem that I think the the future and the way forward and certainly from a lot of the discussions I have is that people have a real appetite for simplification and in certain instances like really radical simplification and actually starting to subtract things from their business to make that a more cohesive and easy to use and easy to understand environment for people to work in. And that's before you start to take an account cost too because for each of those, you're obviously paying as well, which affects your bottom line. So let's talk about the bottom line because you laid out some pretty interesting revenue models in your presentation as well, Scott, giving the example of a bakery. So can you tell us a little bit for the benefit of people that weren't in Transform about that thinking? Bob's Bakery and Roberto, the artisan baker. Bob the baker, yeah. (laughs) That's it. Poor old Bob. Okay, so there's a really wonderful formula which we start with, which basically says your profit in a business is how many things you do multiplied by what people pay you for that thing minus what it costs you to give them that thing. And in the example of Bob the Baker, just to expand on that, we say Bob's Bakery's profit is going to be how many loaves of bread he sells and the difference in revenue between what it costs him to bake the loaf and what he sells it for. The problem with that is that your cost will always move proportionate to your revenue. So for you to sell more bread, you've got to bake more bread. And ultimately, you'll hit limits when it comes to that kind of thinking. What we spoke about is this kind of new way of separating how you make money from what you actually do. And it's the way tech platforms think about how they price and Facebook's an example. And we said with Facebook, they basically build this platform that gets everyone on there and sharing information and it's really good and it's free. So 2 billion of us use it. And then they go to advertisers and say, hey guys, we've got 2 billion people over here sharing all this stuff. Why don't we sell all of this advertising to them, to you while they're there? So we said, all right, well, what if we did that to Bob the baker? So Bob, instead of selling the bread, he's going to give the bread away for free and he's suddenly going to have a 1,000 people a week in his bakery. If you've got a 1,000 people a week coming through this little bakery, how else could you make money without simply selling the bread? And the examples we used were you could put advertising on the walls, which is the Facebook equivalent of a bakery. We could sell some floor space to a local barista because you've got a 1,000 people coming through. He or she may want to sell some coffees. You could say, we've got all these people that love the bread, let's start doing bread making classes and then we're going to sell the ingredients that are used at the classes as well. Or why don't we be really smart, have a multi-revenue business and do all three. So we're going to sell the bread, we're going to have the coffee stand, we're going to have the ads, we're going to have the bread making classes and lo and behold, Bob's now got a business that's unbelievably difficult to compete with if you're the bakery across the road. Pardon me, bakery across the road. That's the network effect then taking hold, isn't it? Like the more, like it's like Uber, the more people that use Uber, the more drivers they've got to put on, the more drivers they've got, the lower the wait time. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. So it's really interesting. So what would the equivalent in of Bob the Baker in real estate be? Would that be something like offering, I'm, I'm going to say this anyway, because we're making examples here, but 0% commission, for example, but monetizing it through community newsletters and partnerships with removal companies and partnerships with furniture companies and all of that sort of thing. Is that what we're talking here? Yeah. I mean, essentially the kind of golden rule is don't rule anything out. Like as an initial thought exercise, 
work through all of the options that exist and then assess the strengths and weaknesses of each of those options. And I'm not saying give your thing away for free or anything like that, but when you start to see the full suite of solutions that's in front of you in terms of how you can make money, any one of those things can give you a very different point of difference in the market uh, and a very different way to compete and make money without having to always just compete on fee or think about it that way. And in real estate, if you think about all the different groups that you're involved with or that you're connected to, people need a ton of stuff in and around the experience of buying, selling, leasing a home. And I think that's where there's just enormous opportunity if you think about this system of businesses rather than just, I do a thing and I charge money for that thing. Yeah. And I guess to expand upon that a bit, I mean, it's no secret that property management has always been a really low margin business. And what we're seeing increasingly is is ever more downward pressure on fees. So it's becoming more difficult for people to generate even an acceptable amount of revenue and profit out of a property management business. So I think the big shift in thinking is around generating revenue out of the relationships you have as opposed to out of the work that you do. So traditionally, businesses have been so reliant on a management fee or a leasing fee is effectively the only way to generate income. But I think increasingly looking at that maybe even as a supplementary way to generate income, but looking at how you actually monetize the relationships you have in your business will give you a greater, I guess, defensibility from low fee market entrance, et cetera. But it also basically means you have a far more robust and resilient business because you're not reliant on just one or two revenue streams. You've got a whole different range of ways that you can generate a dollar. I think you made everyone really think then about their own businesses and where they were generating revenue and how they were generating revenue. It's interesting to throw the rule book out and take a blank sheet of paper and say, well, if I was starting all over again, what would I do and why am I not doing it? Yeah, well, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? And at the end of the day, like the least profitable way to run a business is to put a margin on something that you buy and sell it based on that margin. It's literally the worst pricing strategy and yet it's the most common And I think um, we're at a day and age where technology in particular allows us to connect to all of these things in a pretty frictionless way. Take advantage of it. Like It's a great way to grow your business. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about, because I found this really interesting, is you threw up an example, and this is talking about service again, but differentiation, because it almost seems like every exercise we give people in Transform, they look at what everyone else is doing and then they copy them. And it happens in the real estate industry because agents follow agents and they see one agent doing something and then they go, oh, I'll do that too. But you gave two very stark examples of two electronics companies, Apple and JMB Hi-Fi, and two very different marketing strategies, but they still work. Could that apply to real estate as well? It's kind of interesting. We talk about, be really clear on who it is that you are trying to serve or who it is that you're trying to win, and then work back through all of the different people or groups that they could buy that thing from. And be really careful with how different are you actually when you walk through each step of the process of doing business. And I think the example you're referring to, we show a photo of a JB Hi-Fi store and an Apple store. And the JB Hi-Fi store, if you've ever walked into JB Hi-Fi, I'm guessing you can visually do this with me, but you get to the front door, the first person you're greeted by is a security guard. So the first message JB Hi-Fi is sending you is you're going to steal from us. You walk in, (laughs) it's floor to ceiling stock. There's a hundred signs everywhere. Everything's on sale. They actually pay someone a lot of money to do handwritten signs, even though it's cheaper to just print them because of all these messages that they're sending to you that this is bargain basement. They've done everything to strip the cost out, even these handwritten signs, and therefore you're going to save all this money. When you walk into Apple, by contrast, you're buying the same product. It's the same iPhone or iMac, whatever it might be. 
there is no price anywhere. It looks like a museum, looks like an art gallery, huge open spaces. You're greeted by one of the cool nerds at the front that just wants to help you find the thing that you're there to do. Lots of space to play with the products and engage with it because their thing is price is irrelevant. That's why it's not anywhere. It doesn't matter. You are here to become part of the Apple system and, and culture. And yeah, it's a whole different thinking, even though the core product is identical. And I think both businesses, it's not that JB's bad and Apple's good, they're both profitable businesses. Like you'd happily own either company. They're just really good at saying who's the, the customer we're after and how do we separate ourselves from the other people that um, people would be choosing or using. Yeah. There's the lesson, isn't it, is be aware of who you're marketing to and market to that person rather than everybody. Spot on. And in fact, the, the advice that I got, which kind of shocked me, was until you can identify the people who hate the thought of doing business with you, you haven't pushed it hard enough. Like at some point, a group needs to hate the thought of using you because you're so clear and so specific to the people you are trying to win. And if you think about the best brands in the world, they're polarizing. You just want to use them or you can't stand the thought of using them. This is where I think there's so much challenge at the moment is people tend to position themselves as one but give mixed messages to customers about the other. You can't uh, be an Apple store offering but offer a JB Hi-Fi experience. It's, it's Up for of, JB. You know, <laughs> it's really about consumer confusion, yeah. right? So as you said, neither of them is right or wrong or better or worse. They're both profitable models but where it actually does become an issue is when you do start to confuse and mix them up because that's when you actually do compromise um, your strategy. And then you lose trust, right? Because you're trying to be something that you're not. So, so true. Yeah. And your words and your actions don't match. Yep. So Brock, your transform session centered around some of the current challenges in property management and the evergreen question of should I delegate, outsource or automate? And when we come to outsourcing now, we've got the choice between outsourcing to somebody here or offshoring somewhere else. And I think you're probably one of the very, very few people in the industry that can talk about this topic without any sort of bias whatsoever. So what do you see are the biggest challenges in automating? Because you mentioned that margins are being squeezed. So what are some of the biggest challenges when it comes to trying to save money by either outsourcing, automating or delegating? I guess it probably relates back to the discussion we were just having about confusion and mixed messages to your customers. So I think the worst thing that you can do is either through digitized or automated solutions or outsourced offshore solutions is provide a low-cost solution to the moments that matter to your actual customers. So I think what you want to focus on is all oh, the inner workings in your business, the stuff that's not necessarily customer-facing, like automate, digitize, outsource, do whatever you can to get that off the plate of your frontline service providers so that they can be laser-focused on actually doing the stuff that matters, like having real connection with their customers, adding value, doing stuff that technology can't do because if you are creating an experience in your business where your customers are basically dependent on your tech, for example, and the experience that creates, or if you're running effectively a heavily outsourced team that is reliant on templates and basically producing a roboticized type experience, then there's no opportunity there to really add value or show your worth as a business. And I think the, the real risk there is that for a customer, they'll just retreat to the cheapest version of that offering. So if someone else is using slightly better tech that produces a similar outcome, but it costs a little bit less, then they'll head down the road to that. Like There's no reason why they're attracted to you and your unique service offering as a business. So for years, the industry has spoken about wanting to elevate the role of a property manager. So I think it's about getting really laser focused on 
the specific activities that you do that actually add real value and create those moments for customers and doing as much of that as possible, not sacrificing those. So not digitizing those moments because we end up in that that wheel of, well, if your relationship is with the tech that you have and not the people providing the service, then what do you really have there? So getting really focused on what are the moments that you can actually add value and, and ensure that your team have a time to shine giving them as much of that as possible, but don't automate or digitize those experiences because you're not actually providing any sort of long-lasting value there to your customers and they'll just head down the street. Well, this is it. I, I guess we can almost summarize some of the stuff that we've talked about now because we're talking about differentiation and elevating the property manager who might be the best property manager in the world, but if, if they're just sending you template emails that don't really reflect who they are or the business. And you and I, Brock, have talked about this at length because I've received a few template emails, <laughs> yeah. which I haven't been real impressed about. But it's so beige and it's almost like the chain link system that you talked about earlier, Scott, where you have this idea of a property manager trying to elevate the relationship and then the tenant or the owner gets a template email and that just takes it one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. And I think it's frustrating for so many because if you've got a really high achieving property manager sitting there and they're working in a scenario where they're just struggling to get by and they're just doing template or roboticized tasks after roboticized tasks, like they're not having a time to shine either. And there's no job satisfaction in that. So if you're the world's greatest property manager, but you're working in a scenario where you don't actually have the time or the opportunity to show you value, then you know, that doesn't work for anyone. It doesn't work for the business, doesn't work for the team member, and it certainly doesn't work for the customer. But I'd say I'd go a step further and say you're actually pushing the industry toward disruption. The more that you remove yourself and automate some of these things, inevitably what starts to happen is you kind of go, I can save five bucks here and five bucks there and bit by bit you chip away at it, not realising that you're boiling the frog. Like it's all happening so slowly that no one realises from a customer point of view they're getting nothing from you. Like they might hear from you for 10 minutes once a year and outside of that, everything is a template or it's an update through a portal or whatever. Well, lo and behold, they start to go, well, I can do this myself. This looks really easy. I'll manage it myself or I'll sell it myself, whatever it may be. And I think that's the risk is that it's it's kind of myopic. You can save a couple of bucks in the short term, but long term, not necessarily the right thing. Yeah. So what do you think the takeaway is or the action step for people that might be listening to this going, okay, this is me too. We've got some great people here, but everything's been automated to within an inch of its life. And it might seem like it's working, but that's because nobody checks whether it is or not. There's a couple of things I'd say. The first is if you're not getting really good feedback from your customers, you're flying blind. So you need something to be checking in and getting a sense of what they think and feel. I'm a big fan of, of really simple tools like journey maps, where you start at the start and say, well, what does my customer do and how do they find us when they look us up online? If I look at the other websites they might look at, what do they look like by comparison? Inevitably, Facebook stalk the property manager I'm being assigned. What do I find? It's all these little steps bit by bit that kind of craft this experience that people have. I would go through that right the way through to onboarding. We do maintenance for someone. How does that go? Where you lose them because something goes wrong and step by step, get really clear on what's the experience people are having. From that, make some decisions around what you can automate because to Brock's point, it's important to do, but it doesn't add a lot of value, you being face-to-face or on the phone. But then think really carefully around the critical moments where you do have an opportunity to build a relationship and make a difference. I'm a landlord and a tenant. 
And I got my recent rent review notice, which my real estate agent property manager, it comes from the property management software. It's an awesome moment to actually call me and say, how's the property going? You're keen to resign. Tell us about your plans. And then you can use that against me to the landlord and say, hey, these guys love the house. Let's put the rent up by five or 6%. Instead, I get this awfully impersonal thing that comes in the email and just like, what a wasted opportunity. You can tick the box. You've done the job but you've missed an opportunity to actually grow on the back of that chat. Yeah, or even show a bit of brand personality, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I think so often we get it wrong. We actually do it backwards. Like we start off with how am I going to do this job as a property manager? When if you kind of shift that thinking to go, all right, well, if I'm a customer, let's say for the sake of this point, I'm an owner, there might be 15 contacts I have with the business every year. 12 of those might be a statement, you know, I might get a routine report, I might need a lease renewal, something might need fixing from a maintenance point of view. So those are the only experiences that I'm going to have that I'm going to judge whether I'm getting value or not from you. And so with that in mind, what is the type of impression and what is the type of service that you want to offer that person so that they go, you know, wow, that's good. Like I'm getting, I'm getting bang for buck there and then create that scenario. So you can deal with everything else within your business that needs to be done in order to create that but start with the experience you want to create first make sure that you're doing that in a way that actually people go wow that's cool if i'm paying eight percent or nine percent i want to continue to do that because this experience has been so great not like "Hmm." (laughs) Um, well that's the same report that i've got six times or yes please do renew my lease and i'll tell you to put up the rent like don't make any (laughs) recommendations to me what's happening in the market i don't know like that's not the experience you want to create. So figure out those contact points that people are going to judge you on and how you're going to make those into wow moments and then work backwards from there. I'm just feeling like, Brock, you were almost doing an impersonation there of Janet from accounting (laughs) in a good place, you know. (laughs) I'm showing no emotion, end of conversation, (laughs) end of message. (laughs) It is a little bit like that. And, And I'm like you, Scott, quite frustrated that I'm, both a landlord and a tenant, I don't think our current property managers even understand that. And I think, well, if that's a big rent roll, there could be a lot of missed opportunities. This is all pretty interesting. Brock, you helped people start thinking about the systems that are currently in place and how to maybe break things down and look at them. So let's just say, Brock, if you're unsure whether your processes are working or you're thinking maybe the processes need a bit of a revamp in 2021 after a crazy year last year, where do you start with that? It's a good question. I think the the number one thing is just to actually start. So I think so often people get overwhelmed by how many processes they might have and how much effort might be involved in going through all of them, but you don't actually have to do all of them. It's that classic Pareto principle of 80-20 that... 80% of the efficiency or value you'll gain will be in 20% of the work that you do there. If you're fortunate to have some sort of customer metrics or a surveying program where you can understand how customers feel about the processes that you have, then that's a a great place to start because it enables you to focus on the areas that need it and also make improvements and understand if you've actually got a better result because I guess the worst case scenario is that you change something and you actually make it worse. So having a way to to measure customer feedback and experience is really important. If you don't have that... um, I think you'll intuitively know where most of your time goes within the business. So you can either work through that with your team, which I think is a good way to keep them engaged in that process and get feedback from them both around where they're spending a lot of time, when you start working through the processes, how they feel like they should be done or improvements that can be made, steps that can be skipped. Like it's that 
radical simplification thing as well. So for so long, people have added steps every time something bad has happened in property management and it just ends up being such a clunky and convoluted process that people don't follow anyway. So I think uh, one of the things I often talk about is just getting really good at managing exceptions or edge cases when they occur, but keeping your processes as simple and straightforward as possible so that you're not actually penalizing yourself the 98% of time that things go well, just to try and prevent the 2% of edge cases, which will happen anyway, by the way. So keeping your processes simple, making sure that you are building in the, the required moments and time to actually add value to your customers and getting feedback from your team. Because if you're going to to try and change and improve things. It's really important to have buy-in. And I think there's no less effective way than just to roll in as a team leader or department manager and go, hey, this is what we're doing now because everyone will have thoughts and, and feedback around what you should be doing and they won't feel heard. And so a change imposed is a change opposed quite often. So taking them on the journey is a key part of buy-in. That's it. I can feel the eye rolls like just as you're talking. <laughs> and that actually is probably a really good place to talk about Colmeo a little bit and where you guys are heading because some people might actually not even know who Colmeo is or what's a Colmeo or anything about the company. So I guess, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about Colmeo, where you've come from, where you're going to, and what's different about Colmeo to your average software product out there right now or your average platform you've asked my favorite question by the way how long yeah, have you got well, we're here for a bit everyone <laughs> grab a grab a cup of hot chocolate yeah. or something everyone get comfortable yeah, I, I won't do that to you so the abridged version of events is we were running a twenty-two thousand property rent roll so really big rent roll and a couple of us had been brought in to help that business think about customer experience and grow and do all these things inevitably what we found is that the problem was far more difficult to solve than what we could have imagined in part because there was this kind of issue where you're told that the most important person in the equation is the landlord and we all exist for the landlord. But in reality, happy tenants is what you need to have happy landlords because happy tenants are more likely to pay rent on time, report maintenance and engage in the process, accept rent increases, so on and so forth. So all the things that drive happy landlord is it comes from a happy tenant. So then we said, all right, well, what's going on and why aren't tenants happy? And then lo and behold, found property managers aren't happy. They're overworked, they're burnt out. There's just absurd rates of churn. And I came from banking. Like, surely no one hates their job more than people at the banks. And yet, lo and behold, people would come into property management, do it for 11 months and leave. So we started to interrogate all of that and found there was this kind of hidden triangle, this idea of three sides that weren't really in balance. Colmio is the Finnish word for triangle. The Finnish part is irrelevant. We just wanted to try and find something that was easy to say and register at .com. <laughs> which is a really yeah. hard thing to do. But fundamentally, our kind of philosophy is driven by this idea of three sides being kept in balance, where in the past, what we'd seen was the property management platforms that were out there were really good administrative products. But that was it. That's where it stopped. And if you look at where most of the innovation has happened in the outside world, in property management, we don't see a lot of that on the landlord side, on the tenant side. And even for the property managers themselves, you've got this kind of Frankenstein of products now where I've got a, a core kind of product to manage the property. I've got an inspection product. I've got a maintenance product. I've got a, maybe a payments partner. Like it just goes on and on and on. 
Now, at the same time that was happening, the gentleman who owns Colmio owned the previous product that we had in market called Agent Plus, which had been around for a sort of 15 years. In fact, Sam McLean, I think there might be a, a business card with your name on it from back in the day. <laughs> from a long time ago, yeah. And yeah. It was a cracking product. Like It was a, an amazing property management product. And I think for the very few people who were working on it, it was unbelievably hard to learn how to use. But once you learned it, you loved it. And we said, well, we've got this great thing here. How do we learn from what people love about that product, but then really take advantage of what we're saying, not just in property management, but all over the world in terms of things like pricing strategies, differentiation strategies, customer experience management platforms. And we've rolled all of that into the vision that we've built for Colmio. So long-term, our thinking is quite simple. There's a core property management product, which is designed to make the job really enjoyable. So there's dad jokes and puns and everything that kind of happen at key moments <laughs> to inject a bit of joy into the process. But it's also built on some absurd tech. So there's this amazing kind of AI engine that sits at the heart that helps with things like optimization, recommendations, et cetera. There's a marketplace of services that we start to release. And this is things like if you're a tenant and someone's going to come out to inspect the property, we know there's a moment of anxiety. We'll find you to someone to come and clean it. We'll find someone to mow the lawns and we'll coordinate that all through the app and just have it done in a frictionless kind of way. When we do that, we charge those businesses and we share that revenue with the agency to help them become Bob the Baker and start to monetize all of these different relationships without them needing to build the tech or do the things. So first and foremost, PM-centric, but then increasingly, bit by bit as it rolls out, it's designed to uplift the experience for both the owner and the tenant as well, and then help the agency make money very, very differently to what they may have in the past. Actually, that's really interesting because that sort of incentivizes the agency to provide incredible service and different types of services to tenants and investors. Spot on. And this was our thinking. Like we found when we were kind of playing around with the rent roll, we had a whole bunch of tenants. So there's 40,000 tenants and we were surveying them like crazy to find out what was going wrong and what was going on. Unsurprisingly, issues around communication, responsiveness, maintenance, and so on. We started a customer care team. So we put in half a dozen people, 10 inquiries went to that group first and foremost. And it meant if you're a property manager, we've just taken a whole chunk of stuff out of your day to make it a bit more manageable. If you're a tenant, you get answers almost instantaneously. And we ran that customer care team 13 hours a day, seven days a week. So even on a Sunday at seven o'clock at night, if the hot water system died, you could get some help. And we found by doing that, as the tenants loved what, the, what was going on, lo and behold, there was a flow-on effect. We could measure the difference in the yield that an owner was generating on the back of happy tenants. So this whole kind of view of Colmio is, well, how do you do that at scale? And how do you do that for a business that might have 10 properties because they're just growing or 22,000 properties because you've got an enormous amount of people already? And so, Brock, what's on the radar for the rest of 2021? It's been, we've just come out of a pretty interesting year, but you're the head of strategy at Colmio. So can is there any anything you can tell us about what's coming up? Uh, yeah, Colmio, our, our strategy is probably a bit more holistic and high level than just being a piece of property management software. So we're coming at it from a bit of a different angle. And I guess that's kind of part of our overall strategy because I think the, I guess the challenge that I noticed working in property management for the last couple of decades was that we were just trying to solve the same problems over and over again in the same kind of way. And so there was no real point, I guess, in just trying to incrementally improve the status quo because the things that tech can do in 2020 and 2021 versus even 2010, the experience that people expect using tech in 2021 is really 
different to how it was 10 years ago, but has the experience really changed for the better? And I don't think so. So customers are no longer judging you against your, your rival office down the street, but every kind of tech-based experience that they're having in their life, things like Uber Eats and Uber itself, all of those types of experiences are just expected now in any sort of interaction someone has with the business. So property management hasn't really moved at that same sort of speed. So as Scott indicated, we've, we're coming at it from a bit of a different angle with our Colmio, with our triangle philosophy. So starting from the outset with the owners, tenants and, and property managers needs in mind and building a solution for that. Uh, so we're continuing to, to evolve that thinking for the rest of the year. And you'll start to see the first iteration of some of our marketplace offerings coming up. So what we're trying to do there is take the... I guess the heavy lifting and the grunt work away from agencies there. So helping people harness all of the power of the adjacent and the ancillary revenue offerings that are available to them, but doing that in a digital way so they don't have to use their own operational resources, both selling those sorts of things, but managing the negotiations and the commercials of it as well. So helping to unlock that. I've got a few ideas in mind around how to open up additional revenue streams for businesses, help them understand where they have capacity and give them ways to monetize that because I think that's part of the some of the myth of efficiency out there. If you're 30% more efficient or 40% more efficient or whatever, like it's just a paper gain unless you can actually do something with that. So it's not enough just to be efficient unless you can understand where those gains are and what you can do with them. And it doesn't have to all be about making money in that space. So much of the challenge that we have in the industry is around burnout, stress. So perhaps being more efficient is just about giving people some balance back in their life, giving them the opportunity to have a lunch break or actually go home at five o'clock. So we've got a lot of different thoughts around how we can make life more enjoyable and fun and put a bit of love back into it for property management businesses, but also how to help them make more money in some new and exciting ways. With some dad jokes. This, yeah, this is dad jokes. <laughs> oh, dear. You had me at dad joke. One of our designers calls herself the chief SAS officer, but she's right. Like, so, you know, all of our little our little tickets and snack bars throughout the program. Yeah, that's all free to find work. Well, look, I, I could talk to you guys all afternoon, but I'd like to thank you both for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge, Scott Bateman and Brock Fisher. It's been amazing chatting to you. If there was one little tip or one piece of advice or a thought that you'd like to leave everyone with, what would it be? And I'll, I'll start with you, Brock, and I'll give Scott the last word. Don't go looking for a solution until you understand what the problem is. So get really clear on your requirements and what it is that you're actually trying to solve and then go looking for something to do that. So many uh, people go looking for a solution before they actually understand what it is that they're trying to solve. And that's just putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott? Where do you start? I think from my point of view, my advice to anyone is in a world where everything looks and feels similar, be ruthless around whether you are truly different and if not, why not? And I think there's so many ways you can separate yourself from your competitors these days and ultimately that's what's crushing margins in most industries. Everything kind of looks and feels the same. So take advantage of that stuff would be my advice. Yeah, absolutely. And keep your tenants happy. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Brock, Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sam. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit eliteagentelevate.com.